It says uncreated God.
Thank you, Brother Virgil. What a great song. Amen? And uh, what an awesome, awesome job. Wow. Well, you know, I know that uh, many of you come to church each week, and uh, you've been beaten up by the world pretty bad, haven't you? And when you get in here on Sunday, uh, what you need is a little bit of encouragement and comfort. And, you know, from week to week, we try to offer that to you. However, I'm also aware that the greatest peril that you may be in today is not that you work for a cranky boss or that you live with an insensitive spouse or that you cannot pay your bills. Instead, the greatest peril is that you or I have come to a place in our lives where we have grown callous towards God. Living with huge pockets of disobedience in our lives. Pretending to be one thing, but we're really not what other people think we are. And the greatest need when we get into that condition that we have is not to be comforted, but to be confronted. Jesus is so gracious and merciful to get all up in our spiritual business. <laughs> Just as he did one day with some people in Jerusalem. And I want to read that story to you. It's found in Luke's Gospel, chapter 13. I'm going to read verses 1 through 9. You can either turn there or, or watch it on the screen behind me or just listen to me. Verse 1 of chapter 13 of Luke's Gospel. There were present at that season some who told him about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. And Jesus answered and said to them, Do you suppose that these Galileans were worse sinners than all other Galileans because they suffered such things? I tell you no, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Or those eighteen on whom the tower in Siloam fell and killed them, do you think that they were worse sinners than all other men who dwelt in Jerusalem? I tell you no, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. He also spoke this parable. A certain man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came seeking fruit on it, but found none. Then he said to the keeper of his vineyard, Look, for three years I have come seeking fruit on this fig tree and find none. Cut it down. Why does it use up the ground? But he answered and said to him, Sir, let it alone this year also, until I dig around it and fertilize it. And if it bears fruit, well, but if it does not, after that, you can cut it down. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would uh, be glorified today and that you would speak to us through your word. Lord, as I speak on the outside, I pray that your Holy Spirit would speak on the inside and confront us with our own disobedience and bring us close to you. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I think two words can summarize what Jesus is saying in this whole passage. The two words are, repent now. Repent now. The word repent was often used by Jesus. It means to change your mind about the direction in which you were going. 
I kind of like this definition of repentance. Repentance is the holy disgust of sin in our life that leads us to depend upon God to forgive us and also to change us. This is not just feeling bad about our sin. It's not just regretting that we got caught sinning or that we have to experience the consequences of our sin. It is a genuine disgust with our sin because we understand it is an affront to God. And repentance isn't just reforming ourselves and trying to get rid of our sin in our own strength because we can't do that. Repentance always involves a change in the direction of our lives. But we can't do it on our own strength. Only God can forgive us. Only God can cleanse us. Only God can change us. And praise God, He has provided a way for us to be forgiven, cleansed, and changed. And that provision comes through His Son, Jesus Christ who died on a cross, was buried in a tomb, but rose again the third day to forgive us of our sins. Now, repentance is for everyone. Repentance is for all of us. Repentance is for people who are far away from God. They need to hear the good news that Jesus saves. And having heard that good news, they need to repent of their sin. Acts 3.19 says, Repent then and turn to God, so that your sins may be wiped out, and that times of refreshing may come to you from the Lord. Okay? So, get this. Everybody needs to repent. Sinners must repent if they are to be saved. But also along with that, repentance is for believers as well. Right? Sometimes Christians need to repent. Uh, we see it frequently in the Bible. For example, in the book of Revelation, there are seven letters written to seven churches. And Jesus spoke these letters to these churches. It's interesting that in three of the seven letters, Jesus tells the Christians, the church people, that they need to repent. For example, in Revelation chapter 3, verse 19, He said, Those whom I love, I rebuke and I discipline. So be earnest and repent. So the first thing I want you to see from the Bible this morning is the necessity of repentance. It, it's necessary for all of us to repent. Now in Luke chapter 13, some people came to Jesus and they had some news they wanted to share with Him. All right? They wanted to tell Him something and I think really what they wanted to do is get Jesus' response from what they said to Him. Verse 1, now, there were some present at that time who told Jesus about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mixed with their sacrifices. Now, let me back up here and say I, I, most of us know this guy by the name of Pontius Pilate. He was the Roman governor over Judea, and he was the one who ordered the death of Jesus. He was a very mean and very brutal man. And on this occasion that these people are talking about to Jesus, Pilate had slaughtered some Jewish people who were making their offering in the temple in Jerusalem. All right? They came to worship God. 
And as they were sacrificing their animals and the blood was flowing out of the animals, Pilate sent officers who brutally murdered these worshipers so that their own blood flowing out of their body mingled with the blood of the animals. That's brutal. That's pretty mean, isn't it? And so they reminded Jesus of this story, I think really to get Jesus' response, but Jesus knows exactly where these people are going with this information. And so Jesus answered in verse 2 and said, Do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered in this way? You see, this was the typical Jewish way of looking at tragedy. Surely they thought that these people were just, can I call them super sinners? <laughs> they, if they were going to die like this, they must have been extraordinary sinners. That's the reason they met such a dreadful death. That, that was the common, common Jewish thinking. I mean, if, if you died a horrible death like this, man, you really must have been a bad sinner. Jesus is saying, what, what's up with that kind of thinking? Do you think that just because they died so tragically, that means that they are worse sinners than everybody else? He went on to say in verse 3, I tell you, no. It, okay, here's, here's the Harmon book on that. Your thinking's bad. All right? You're not thinking. If that's the way you're thinking about it, you're thinking wrong. I tell you, no. Then he says, but unless you repent you too will all perish. Now that's an odd response to these people. But remember, Jesus knew exactly what they were thinking. And it's also important to realize what Jesus didn't say to them. Jesus didn't say, unless you repent, you too will die. Just like they died. No, He didn't say that. Jesus said, you will perish. He's talking about something that's worse than physical death. He, he's talking about eternal separation from God there. He goes on to say in verse 4, Or what about those 18 who died when the tower in Siloam fell on them? Do you think they were more guilty than all the others living in Jerusalem? History doesn't offer us any other explanation to what this tragedy was all about. The, the only thing we know about it is what Jesus said here, but apparently there was this tower in Siloam. We don't know if it crumbled as it was being built, or, or maybe it was built with a faulty foundation. But anyway, sometime or another, it fell, it crumbled. And when it did, 18 people died. And the prevailing attitude among the Jews was that these people must have been extraordinary ranked sinners because they died like that. But once again, Jesus just shoots right through that kind of thinking. He said that's not the case at all. And in verse 5, he repeats what he said in verse 3. I tell you no, but unless you repent, you too will perish. Now the point is not that these Galileans slain by Pilate or these other people that the tower fell upon were extraordinary sinners. Actually, they were just ordinary sinners. <laughs> right? 
like everybody else. And yet death came to them suddenly, unexpectedly, and quickly. And the point is this, they weren't prepared. You know, we read about people who are killed by violence every day, don't we? Let's go home, read the paper, turn on the, turn on the TV, look at, look at the internet. There, there are people dying around us all the time because of violence. People are killing other people. Governments are killing other people. Terrorists are killing other people. That happens all around us. And every day people are killed in accidents. Every single day. In the state of Arkansas, somebody is going to die today just because of an accident. Anyone can die at any time. Here's what I know. If those Galileans had known what peril they were going to be in that day, they would have probably taken some kind of action to protect themselves. And if those who were crushed under the falling of the Tower of Siloam knew what peril that they were going to face that day, they would have taken some precautions to protect themselves. Wouldn't they? It only makes sense. If we only knew. If, if the people alive today, if the people of the world, if people in this church only knew what peril they were in, apart from Christ, and that death can come upon them suddenly and unexpectedly. And if all these people knew that the only thing that could protect us from the peril of God's judgment is to repent and believe, then you would think they would repent. Now! Because here's the point. Death can come suddenly. Your life can be snuffed out. And if you don't repent, something worse than physical death is going to come upon you. Jesus said it like this, You will perish. The opposite of eternal life is spiritual death, eternal death. When a person believes in Jesus Christ and repents, they are born again. They get heaven as their reward. But if you never repent of your sin, the Bible says you will go to hell. You will spend eternity separated from a loving God. You will spend eternity in a place that was not made for humans, but was made for the devil. It is a pit of fire, an unquenchable fire. And you'll spend all eternity there. I mean... It just makes sense. If I know that's what's waiting for me, I'm going to do everything I can to avoid it. Jesus said the only way you can is by repenting. So that is the necessity of repentance. It is absolutely necessary for everyone to repent. But the other part of Jesus' message today is the urgency of repentance. Now. Repent now. To underscore and throw the spotlight on the urgency of repentance, Jesus tells this parable, okay? That's what it says in verse 6. Then he told this parable. Now, a parable is an earthly story that has a, a spiritual or heavenly meaning to it. Jesus told a lot of parables, 
They were stories that his listeners could easily identify with. If, if I were telling a parable today, I might start out like, okay, there's this lady who went to Walmart. Okay? And already you can identify with that, right? All right? So Jesus told a lot of parables. It's just an earthly story, but it has a spiritual or heavenly meaning. Let's listen to his parable, verse 6. He said, a man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard. And he went to look for fruit on it, but he didn't find any. That's pretty simple. Here's this, this farmer. He's got a vineyard. Grapes are growing in his vineyard, but he also has planted some trees, and in particular, a fig tree where it would receive special attention and care and cultivation. And this fig tree was for the sole purpose of producing fruits. A fig tree produces what kind of fruit? Figs. That's what he expected to find on his fig tree. He expected to find fruit. That tree wasn't planted for shade or for beauty or for landscaping. It was for fruits. He planted it expecting to go out and pick fruit off of it. Duh! We got some plants in our church. There's a plant. There's a plant. There's a plant over there, and there's a plant over there. We got them all through the church. You probably have plants like this in your home. Guess what? These are not real. They're fake. I don't know. They're made out of silk or plastic or rubber or something. And I, and I come through here all the time. I, every day I'm walking through this building, I see all these these plants, these trees. And, you know, I don't I don't pay much mind to them because they're just they're not real. They're fake. They don't need sunlight. They don't need water. And there's no fruit on them. You know what would really freak me out? If I came through here one day and there was a big old apple or orange hanging off that thing. If it produced fruit or, or a fig, whatever a fig is. The only fig I know is a fig newton and I don't really care for them. I don't. I don't expect to find fruit on that thing. Do you? Come on, do you? When I was a little boy, we lived out in Midland, Texas, out in the country, had three acres behind our backyard. My dad and I, when I was a little kid, we, we planted some fruit trees. I remember working that, man. Plant. My dad worked me like a dog when I was a kid. You know, it is good for you. I have to, he got me a little hoe. He, 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 he took this old hoe and cut it off, and it was my hoe. It was a little hoe. He wanted me out there hoeing all the time, man. I still have blisters on my hand from when I was six years old. We planted those fruit trees and, you know, we watered them, cultivated them, lived out there a long time. And finally, finally they started producing fruit. And it was cool to go out there and just pull a piece of fruit off that tree and eat it. Because that's what that tree was for, to produce fruit. That's what the farmer expected to find. But the problem was, there was no fruit on it. It had not produced fruit. Okay, that's the earthly story. People can identify with it. You're identifying with it, all right? You got it in your mind? But all of Jesus' parables had a spiritual truth to it. An earthly story with a heavenly meaning. The point that Jesus is making is this. You people who are talking to me, telling me these stories about these extraordinary sinners, trying to make other people look bad so that you can look better, that's what they were doing. The point that Jesus is making is this. I'm looking at your life, I'm looking at you, and I'm not seeing any fruit. 
You're supposed to be producing spiritual fruit. And I'll get to this in a moment, but the fruit Jesus is looking for is the fruit of repentance. And as he looked at these lives, he found none. Verse 7, So he said to the man who took care of the vineyard, For three years now I've been coming to look for fruit on this fig tree and haven't found any. Cut it down. Why should it use up and waste the soil? Okay, so again, the farmer has been looking for fruit three years on the fig trees, found none. All the while, the fig tree is just wasting the ground it was planted in. And the farmer decides, you know what, enough is enough, let's cut it down. But his helper, his caretaker, whose job it is to tend the vines and the trees, thinks there's still hope for this fig tree. And so he says in verse 8, Sir, leave it alone for one more year and let me dig around it and let me fertilize it. So here's the caretaker. He's, he's being patient and he really is being merciful towards this fig tree. And I think the point Jesus is making to us is this. You know what? God is merciful. God is patient with us. Even when we don't bear fruit like we should, God is still patient with us. Isn't He? But, there comes a time when God's mercy ends and His judgment begins and it's too late to repent. A person dies or Christ returns and then that person has to face the ultimate wrath of God. If it bears fruit next year, fine. If not, cut her down. Now what does all this mean? Well, let me talk very quickly about repentance, first of all, for a non-believer. Repentance for a non-believer. Remember, repentance is the holy disgust of our sin that leads us to depend upon God, not only to forgive us, but to change us. This means that a sinner comes to the understanding, he comes to the knowledge of what God's plan of salvation is. Now, you can't do that on your own. You have to have God's help to do it. And so, God's Holy Spirit speaks to your heart and convicts you and convinces you that you are a sinner separated from God and that you need a change in your life, a change that you can't make on your own. That, that you realize that you're lost in your sins. You're condemned. You, you realize that if you don't do something about it, bad things await you. You're going to go to hell. Now, guys, listen to me. I was six years old when I was saved. That's been a long time ago. But I can remember it like it was yesterday. Sunday night, six years old, sitting in the West Side Free Will Baptist Church in Midland, Texas, with my mom and dad. Left side, a few rows back. My preacher, Brother Zellers, was preaching that Sunday night on hell. And I've told you this story before. He lifted the lid of hell. I could feel the flames coming out of it. You say, oh, preacher, how horrible. People, people, young people don't need to be scared like that. Well, why not? I mean, why not? It is a reality. It really is. And I'm, I was as scared as I could be. 
I was frightened. I didn't want to go to hell. You might think, again, you might think, well, how horrible. What's horrible about it? I mean, if you're headed down the road of disaster and I see you going down that road, it's out of love that I tell you, hey, dude, turn around. So I was convicted of my sin. The Holy Spirit convicted me. Even though I was just six years old and I hadn't done any really bad things, I'd sinned. Sin was in my life. I needed to repent. And I can remember, still remember, the, the conviction of the Holy Spirit. And when the all, uh, invitation was given, man, I ran to the altar. Well, the zealots came and said, William, can I pray with you about something? And I looked at him tearfully and I said, yeah, I don't want to go to hell. He said, we can take care of that. He led me down the Romans road of salvation. Showed me from the Word of God how I needed to repent and come to faith in Christ. And I received Christ that night. I repented. My life changed that night. That, that's what all unbelievers need to sense and feel and realize. The necessity of repentance. I must repent. The urgency of repentance. I must repent now. 2 Peter 3.9 says, He is patient with you, not willing that any perish. God doesn't want you to perish but that everyone come to repentance. What is God's will for everyone? That they repent. So that's repentance for a non-believer. What about repentance for a believer? What about repentance for a Christian? Again, repentance is the holy disgust of your own sin that leads you to depend upon God to forgive you and also to change you. You see, non-believers and believers repent of the same thing. Sin. We're repenting of sin. As a believer, I repent because I know that disobedience separates me from the God who loves me and saved me. And if I persist in an area of disobedience, God, my Heavenly Father, is going to correct me just like a loving dad will correct his children. And can I tell you, sometimes that correction is painful. Revelation 3.19 Those whom I love, I rebuke and I discipline. So be earnest and repent. So listen to me. For believers, true repentance is the broken heart that we have for anything in our lives that is displeasing to the Lord or dishonoring our Lord. And when we understand that, when we sense that, and when we know that, there is an urgency. Because we understand that every day, every hour, every minute, out of fellowship with our Lord is wasted and worthless time. Can I give you just a simple gauge for your spiritual maturity? Yeah. Some of you may be here and think, man, I'm really mature. Well, let's check it with this gauge. It absolutely has nothing to do with how much Bible knowledge you have. Or with what positions you hold in the church. Or even with how many times you show up here in a given week. Oh, the best gauge I know for one's spiritual maturity is this. How long does it take you to repent? Suppose you're reading through the Bible or you're hearing a sermon being preached 
or you're doing a Bible study. And all of a sudden you become aware, you know what? Something is not right in my heart. Something's wrong here. You know, can I take that's the Holy Spirit's job. You're hearing the Word of God, which is alive and powerful. And that Word is speaking to you. And as it speaks to you, the Holy Spirit is implanting it in your heart. And the Holy Spirit is doing an inventory in your life. And the Word of God, it penetrates that, that vacuum you have there, that sin that's in your life. And He points out to you, that's a problem in your life. That's an area of disobedience. That is a sin that you haven't asked forgiveness of. And so when that happens in your life, how long does it take you to deal with that before God? How long does it take you to get to the place where you actually become clean before God? Let me say it like this. How long does it take you to repent? Weeks? Days? Hours? Minutes? What ends up happening for many believers is that they go along for months or years not dealing with that, but living in disobedience to God. You know what? God is patient. God is merciful all along. God is giving us opportunity after opportunity to repent. But then, His appointed time of discipline comes. And let me there, make no mistake about it. If you are His, if you are a Christian, and there is unconfessed sin in your life, God is going to deal with that. He's going to allow you to deal with it first. He's going to give you ample opportunity to repent, to confess, to forsake it. But if you fail to do that, sooner or later, make no mistake about it, God is going to deal with it. And that's when it can get bad. Here's a guy that's been running from God for so long. God's given him chance after chance to repent, to get things right, to get that thing out of his life. He refuses to do so. And finally, God says, you know what? Enough is enough. And there's a crisis. Okay? There is a crisis. I think of Jonah. Yeah? So the point is, you need to repent. And when do you need to do it? Right now. Don't wait for things to get so bad that in order to get right with God, there's a huge crisis in your life. You can avoid that. Repent now. Here's what we need to do, and I'm almost finished, so listen up. We need to discipline ourselves to walk in such close communication and communion with our Lord that we realize immediately when things are not right in our life. We realize immediately when we have an attitude that is not Christ-like. We realize immediately that we have said something before we measured our words. We realize immediately when we allow our focus to, to catch a glimpse or to gaze upon something that God doesn't want us to look at, that takes our mind into lust or covetousness. And immediately when that happens, we're so close to God, we feel the Holy Spirit convicting us, and immediately we repent with a holy disgust for anything that doesn't please our Lord. And we depend on Him for forgiveness and transformation. You know what? That's the kind of fruit that God is looking for in our life. 
The Bible calls it the fruit of repentance. So whether you're an unsaved person or you're a Christian, the fruit he's looking for is repentance. I'm closing again with verse 9. If it bears fruit next year, great, fine. If not, then cut it down. This parable is open-ended. We, we don't know what happened to the tree, do we? Did it bear fruit? Did the special attention the caregiver give to it? Did, did, did it enable the tree to finally bear fruit? Was the tree spared or cut down? We don't know. You, you see, we can't answer the question, what happened to the tree? But we can answer the question, what will happen to me? Heavenly Father, I pray right now that you would speak to each heart that is in this room. Lord, I'm convinced of the fact that there are some folks here today who have never repented of their sins. They are lost without hope, without you. And Lord, I, I know it may be difficult for a person to do what they need to do in front of all these other people, but I pray, dear Lord, that... Uh, they would be convinced of the urgency and the necessity of repentance.